I think therapy is really, really important. And there are ways to get it for less money than, you know, the typical ridiculous amount. I say ridiculous, but really my therapist has helped me overcome so many things that I absolutely thought weren't possible. That is, you can't put a number on that, right? to another episode of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. My name is Georgie, and today our special guest is Natasha Miller. And she is an author, an entrepreneur, and a doer extraordinaire. And she will be sharing her story, her journey, as well as her misadventures and adventures as an entrepreneur with us today. So Natasha, can you go ahead and give us a little bit of a background, a little bit of your story? How did you get here? Wow. So I grew up in the middle of the country in Des Moines, (laughs) Iowa, and coming of age in the mid 80s. And that actually um, coupled with a really, really severely bad um, family situation was a really big challenge because there's not a lot of help for mental health and domestic Mm -hmm. violence, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to fend for myself at a very early age and have been on my own since I was 16. I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was about 24, and um, music is really what created my life and what saved my life and helped me create this profitable multi-million dollar business that I own today. That's it in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this. And we're going to dive into the story as well as, you know, definitely want to talk about your book, Relentless, in a bit. Um, So... As much as you're willing to share, can you talk to us a little bit about what led you to becoming, um, you know, homeless kind of on your own at 16? Yes. So I, I was abused, um, both mentally, emotionally, and physically to an extent Mm -hmm. by my mother from the very time I could remember basically every day of my life. Um, she either said to me or indicated to me that she hated me. And she wanted to kill me and would rather go to jail than have to look at me. So this is not really a great start uh, to life. And I was scared my whole entire life. And I had a really good dad. He was still married to her, but he wasn't able to protect me from her. So it was like good in every way, read to me, listened to all my, you know, Amy doesn't like me. No, they didn't invite me to, you know, the sleepover. Mm -hmm. Like it was such Mm -hmm. a great person, helped me with my homework, played music with me, attended everything that I did, but just couldn't, couldn't overcome. Yeah. Yes. So, um, that was horrible. And the, everything came to a head on Christmas day when I was 16, Mm. my mom, um, really just lost it that day and was chasing me around the house with a butcher knife. Oh my God. And I finally, for the first time in my life called 911. So I was taken to a homeless shelter and stayed there for some time. They were talking about putting me in foster care. Mm. And this is such a weird irony. I was, you know, I wasn't really a real prodigy on the violin. I was really good for my location, right? Okay. (laughs) Des Moines, Iowa. If you put me next to somebody that had been playing since they were four in a different place, I probably wouldn't have been that good. But um, I was studying the violin at 16 years old with a college professor 
at Drake uh-huh. University. So it's not like I was like rolling with, you know, gangs or doing drugs or drinking. <laughs> I was like a goofy, nerdy, I mean, goody two shoes, but not because I was prim and proper. I was just. That's what you were like. That was your interest. A little weird. Oh, a little creative, little artsy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So those two things don't usually go together, right? Having Mm -hmm. that kind of lifestyle. So it was very confusing to me, but also to anybody around me, the kids at the shelter, I didn't fit in with them. Mm. They looked at me like, what the hell are you doing here? And eventually they're like, oh, she's just like us, right? (laughs) Um, And the the counselors there didn't know what to do with me either. So I figured out that I was actually legally able to leave that homeless shelter as an abandoned youth. That's what they deemed me. The courts of, of Iowa said her parents abandoned her here. She mm-hmm. didn't run away is basically what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I got to live as an unofficial emancipated 16 year old. Cause there wasn't an emancipation law. Wow. So I've been on my own ever since. And so if you can imagine, like, I can't tell if I'm a go-getter entrepreneur because that's how I was born. That's like how I'm hardwired yeah, or if I had to, do, to do it, right. Yeah. I had to do it. I think it's that, but we'll never know. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy how these stories go, you know, and, and I want to talk about the duality, right? Um, in an earlier episode this season, um, I actually talked about that, right? Where you're experiencing two completely different worlds at the same time. And it, it becomes an overwhelming thing where you're not sure which world is real. Like is, is the world where I'm experiencing this abuse, this, you know, toxic household, even just in the household, right? Your dad is one whole world, this healthy, supportive adult. And then your mom is a whole other world, this adult that hates you, despises you, and it's abusing you. And you're having to deal with that duality on a day-to-day basis. And then now you go on into the real world and you add in more to that duality, what my home life looks like versus the kind of student I am and the person that I am when I'm hanging out with my friends and I'm at school. And so you, your brain has to now process which reality is real. And, you know, the conclusion that I came up on, on that episode that I did was just that, that both of them are real, that the majority of us do live in some form of duality and it, it can be very, you know, very thin, right. And like, for example, code switching, or like when a woman is in a workplace with majority men, like, you know, I don't know what the, the, if there's an official term for that, um, maybe it is code switching as well, where you have to put on a different face. You have to talk differently, you know, be stronger, be more aggressive, whatever it may be in that space. So usually, you know, the deviation from your real life versus the not pretend life, but the second life is not too far, but you're, you, you experienced it where it was just like completely on the other spectrum of each other, which can make you wonder, you know, what is real? Is anything yes. real? And how do I got to tell you, it? I'm going to share with you two other wild things that will blow your mind. <laughs> So this is all in the book, but my dad, what was his job at the time? Let me tell you, he worked for the city of Des Moines for the homeless um, assistance department. And he wrote the grants and coordinated all the homeless endeavors for like, what? (laughs) So he's seeing this every day and he's not, and maybe that could have 
you know, um, I, I don't know if he's, he's still with us, if yes, he's he able is. to share the story. So, you know, that could have been a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it was, I think, and I, I talked to him about, about this, but I think he, um, it was kind of a split thing. Like it didn't occur to him that what was happening in his home, you know, was going to lead to his, you know, cross sections with this business. Also his mother, my grandmother. So my dad's mom, mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother didn't help or intervene in anything that was going on. I don't know if she really could, but her mm-hmm. job, her career, <laughs> this is so crazy. <laughs> she was an author signed to a major publishing house in New York. And she specialized in writing books about family communications. Her, one of the books literally is called help your child for life. That can't be real. I can't. I know. Like that was really creative of me to make up right now. I'm kidding. It's real. And, and, and this, you know, I, I think it begs the question, right. And and it's something that I'm still processing and why I started including like more stories inside of the podcast, not just like tactical interviews. It's just, it seems, it sounds like the people in your direct network had the resources as well as connections to help you come out of that. And it just, I don't know, maybe they were too close to the work or they just thought it can't be us. Like this isn't, this isn't the reality for our family. And so never tapping in because yeah, it doesn't, it just doesn't (laughs) make sense. Have it all at your head. It's like, I don't have any food, but you have a whole farm and it's like, I have no food. I have no food. Right. Have you started digging? Have you, like, what's happening here? (laughs) I was always looking and begging and trying to display my worthiness. I was looking Mm. for someone to save me. Mm -hmm. Anybody take me out of this situation. And nobody did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so I want to now continue on. So you said from 16. So what, what happened inside of that journey before you moved to San Francisco? Did you have to get a job? How, were you able to graduate high school on I time? Mean, I you barely went a bit about that. Yeah. I, I barely went to high school. I really went like for my art class or for my <laughs> orchestra class or youth symphony. I did barely make it. I think at one point in February, my vice principal said, Natasha, you cannot miss any more days of school or you will not graduate. So with that limitation, I was like, okay, I'm going to make every day. Right. But I was working full time at a restaurant as a hostess because I wasn't old enough to serve (laughs) food, (laughs) much less art alcohol. (laughs) So, um, you know, I was living an adult life, Mm -hmm. you know, working at nights serving. Well, eventually, well, later when I became 18, I got to serve, but you know, and then what do people do when they work at restaurants after their shift, they go out. Right. So I'm not a drinker and, but I would saddle up at a bar with my coworkers and order a cosmopolitan. Cause that was the right thing to do. And I had a fake ID from one of my fellow <laughs> servers and I would sip on it, it tasted horrible, but, um, you know, I was part of that lifestyle. Yeah. So by the time I got to be 23, when I decided to get married, like 23 is really you're young to get married. Right. Mm-hmm. But not if you have been on your own since you're six, because you've already lived the, you've it's already been living time. your life for like yeah. what, eight, seven years now, seven, eight years. You've been, you know, that, cause that's what starts at, you know, 
18. And then by the time you're like 26, 27, okay, you've met someone in college, et cetera, but you've already yeah. adulted. You've had to do that for so long. Yeah. I, I am not in favor of anyone living this life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, I'm sure she's going to say she wouldn't change a thing. It's made it who she was. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I wouldn't wish that upon my daughter. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. No, I wish that somebody would have paid attention to me and cared for me. I would have loved to know what it felt to be loved and cared for because it does shape your life. Now, yes, I have all these awards and accolades and successes and, you know, I'm 51 now and I've had a lot of therapy and I've had a lot of introspection. That doesn't mean that I don't still suffer from a lot of the things I don't know if you can take that out of a person completely. And, and, you know, and I have a question around how do you feel about these accomplishments? Cause I think, like you said, you wouldn't wish this on anyone. And if you could go back, you would want to change that because I think when you experience tough things or, you know, things that mess up your mind, your, your, how do you, how you see the world and how you see life, you can have all the accolades, but they never feel like enough because that's not what you needed. Right. You didn't need an award at 16. Like, yay, shout outs to you. You needed a, a loving, supporting family. You needed a loving parent, not even just a family. Cause now, you know, you've mentioned um, having a family, but you needed that parental love, that parental care. And that's a different situation and a different form of love than like a partner or a child could provide to you. Yeah. I I tell you what, it puts you in the direction of looking for something you absolutely can't achieve. So in a husband, in a boyfriend, um, you know, they can't, they can't fill that void. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no way you don't know that, that when you're young though, right? You don't, you have no idea. So I married a man that was nine years older than me. I thought, okay, I made it. He's going to care for me. He's going to be able to, you know, meet me where I need to be met. He'll somewhat care for me financially. Although I knew that I would be financially stable on my own, just my chutzpah. Right. (laughs) But, um, and you know, it didn't work out big surprise. (laughs) So you know, I'm proud of the accomplishments that I've had. Do they replace the love that I miss? No. Would I switch out having a little more mundane life without all these, you know, ups and downs? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thank you so much for sharing that with us. And so now, you know, you said like 24 is when you moved to San Francisco, you got married at around 23. Yep. Then what? So what, what career are you at at this point? Have you <laughs> tapped into entrepreneurship? And I okay. want to hear how yeah. we got to music. Cause you said the music yeah. career has really what's taking you to um, the success that you are, are now. So tell me about that. Okay, so I had a married, big job in retail at Eddie Bauer folding shirts for $5 an hour. Woo! <laughs> I know. And I was so excited because I could transfer to the Eddie Bauer in San Francisco mm-hmm. and make $6 an hour. Moving on up, (laughs) light up the world. Now I will say I was able to find the violin at fourth grade. I got free lessons. I got to use a school violin and that is the um, catalyst for so much of the rest of my life that enabled me to get a full ride scholarship to colleges. 
where my counselors at high school didn't even bother consulting with me about college. They didn't <laughs> think I was going to go. They literally thought they would find me dead in a gutter. Wow. That's what they told me after, you know, I graduated. So I went um, to three different colleges. I didn't graduate. I ended up moving to San Francisco. And that is where I sort of con- continued an entrepreneurial endeavor with playing with my string quartet for mm-hmm. social and corporate events. Mm. So I was playing for weddings and award ceremonies and cocktail parties. And again, it's such a juxtaposition, right? It's <laughs> like goody two shoes, classical violinist. It doesn't make any sense, but um, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, there's no way to make it fit. But then, um, you know, I had day jobs. I had worked in advertising. I worked as a media buyer, but at about 28, I really wanted to do music full-time. So I quit my job and I moved from this sort of more expensive rental into a one bedroom apartment with my young daughter. (laughs) And we share bunk bed was on top of my bed in case I didn't make enough money. Right. And I mean, I'm looking at my wall right now. I then eventually produced seven CDs of my music. I toured this. These are jazz vocal jazz CDs, which is obviously different than the violin, but, um, those two things are what I do musically like formally. And so I just started my entrepreneurial endeavor sort of non-officially. And then in 2001, I got a business license and I started booking both myself, but other musicians in jazz and classical for events. And then I got my first big client and they had about a hundred thousand dollar budget to book different bands um, on this plaza promenade. Uh, It was part of a marketing budget for this retail place. So they Mm -hmm. wanted to draw people to their plaza with music. So guess what? That was 21 years ago. I still have that client today. Nice. Look at that. And I'm pretty sure those budgets have increased, Um, you know, 21 years ago. So, you, you know, one, first of all, congratulations. And like, finding that path. And let's talk a little bit about that, that sacrifice, you know, cause I, uh, around moving from a nicer apartment to, you know, a one bedroom sharing a bunk bed with your, with your daughter. And what, what did that feel like? You know, cause I think oftentimes as humans, as entrepreneurs, we have to make strategic sacrifices. I want to call them that because you knew that you're going to make a change and you didn't want to live above your means. So you mm-hmm. changed your environment to live within and or below your means. So that way, whatever you brought in, even if it was, you know, half of what you had before, it would yep. be enough to cover what you needed to cover. I'm so talk so to us a little bit about that, that sacrifice. So I love this because I think this is what keeps people from going for their dreams, mm. right? They've got a Louis Vuitton, a Gucci purse. We know how much that costs. That's 12 hundred to three thousand dollars can you make money off those is that an investment right no okay i will stop preaching about that i do not look at any decision i made as a sacrifice i look at it as a choice Mm -hmm. and i think that like it never occurred to me that it was a sacrifice i didn't think of it as less than i thought of it at the time as freedom right freedom not to work at a day job, freedom to do music professionally, freedom not to be worried about making rent. Uh-huh. And I really hope that you know, my saying this here helps other people reframe it because um, 
making a sacrifice is a negative word, right? It's a negative feeling like, oh, I've got to give this up to get what I want to get. And what a burden, you know, doesn't have to be. It's an investment. Mm -hmm. And like, I I really love you framing it as freedom because it really allows you to now do those things and do them with not just the financial resources, but the mental space that it takes up to be overwhelmed and exhausted while also trying to be amazing and pursue your goals is heavy. Yeah. I wasn't stressed out because mm -hmm. I had created um, a way to make it happen. And I'll tell you what, guess what? That year I made just as much money as I did the year before, but I didn't know if I would. (laughs) And I stayed in that little apartment for at least a year and a half because I loved it. Wow. No sacrifice needed. Yeah. It just worked. It's what was needed necessary for this all to work out. And listen, I call that, I refer to that apartment as the garden apartment. (laughs) Garden apartments are like first floor or a little bit below. Right. And Mm -hmm. my daughter's like, mom, we lived in the basement. (laughs) I was like, well, I can see the flowers and the grass. So we live in a garden apartment again. Nobody was saying, think positive, think on the bright side. It's just how I saw things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And now we're coming to like the middle of the show where, you know, you've you've shared quite a few misadventures so far. (laughs) I I mean, Um, my whole life is a misadventure. So (laughs) yeah. So I'd love to know, is there a specific misadventure around um, the business? You know, something that happened since you started this business uh, years ago, that was either something that worked out that went really well and it worked out or went really, really bad and it didn't work out, but just, it was just a crazy misadventure. Well, I mean, we have the perfect thing, the pandemic. So Mm. the year before the pandemic, we had produced over 650 events in one year. Wow. I had a million dollar payroll. Wow. (laughs) This is pause for effect here. Right. And then I had to figure out how to get us out of this situation because nobody was doing in-person events. Mm -hmm. We could kill each other. Right. If we did that. So no one was doing them. And we switched to producing virtual events, which a lot of people did. Some people just closed up shop. Mm -hmm. Some people buried their head in the sand. Some people are in serious debt because they didn't figure out a way to change their business model to mold to the current situation. But we did. And we ended up I had to lay off half of my team. So I don't want to go on the record of saying, well, I just, you know, I saved my business and everything was fine. No, that's not what we want to hear. We want to hear the real raw truth. I had a like full on panic attack telling people that you respect and that you employ that they no longer have a job in the middle of a pandemic where people are dying just Mm -hmm. by like showing up to the grocery store. Not a good feeling. And then after I sort of recovered from that mentally, Um, we switched to virtual events and we ended the year with 200 virtual events. Nice. And everyone's like, you're so amazing. So many people have buried their head in the sand. I'm like, I'm too busy saving my ass (laughs) to look around to see who's burying. I don't even know what that means. Right. Because you know what? I'm a survivor and I'm my best self in a challenge. Mm -hmm. I think because of what I had endured as a young person. So you had to overcome, you had to get it done. You had to just Mm -hmm. do it. There wasn't a, 
<laughs> oh, let's just wait for somebody to come and figure this out. Let's just wait for the government to come. Let's just wait for, um, you know, life to work out, this virus to stop. It's, yeah. oh no, this thing is, we don't know when and where it's going anywhere. And we need to keep going and we have to figure out how to best do that. And like you said, save, save your ass. Like you had yeah. to get yourself out. Yeah. And so now, you know, at the, at the flip side of the pandemic, more and more thing, people are opening up, you know, how, how, how are you thinking of that strategy? Are you, you know, how, are you starting to grow again? Have you rehired? Um, yeah. Or are you going to maintain at this pace? Because I think that a lot of people came out of the pandemic with a lot of perspective or just, you know, realizing like any minute, everything could be flipped upside down and things that we never yeah. thought could happen will happen. So what do we do now? What do we want I mean, to do now? Yeah. I mean, I am rebuilding the company. I think by 2024, we'll be close to pre-pandemic uh, levels as far as the, the ideation of people doing mm-hmm. larger events together. Um, right now we're doing both virtual and in-person events, but they're smaller. Yeah. They're more, they're smaller and they're more last minute and they're more likely to cancel last minute because <laughs> of whatever variant comes through. And then now we are facing a recession. And when I see Facebook and Google and and tech companies doing a hiring freeze, that gives me pause, right? That's definitely, now there's still a way to thrive in a market that is recessing. If you are strategic about how you build back up or don't build back up, right? Mm -hmm. With headcount and overhead. So immediately we don't have what I was paying $65,000 in rent for a, an office, no longer necessary. Wasn't really necessary before, but whatever. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, I have an eye on growth, but I'm also making sure that I'm not overshooting. So mm-hmm. you can tell me, you know, Georgie, you and I have been talking for the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You can tell the um, strategic decision I made to move into that smaller apartment is going to be a similar, you know, decision that I'm going to make in the rest of my business and life. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it, it always hurts me to say, and like, to just sometimes even to accept like these hard moments just make us so strong in ways that, you know, bittersweet double-edged sword, um, work out so well, like that adversity, that, figuring it out right where other people are just like oh i can't do anything we're just like "Ah, no 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 there's a list of things that haven't even been brought up yet and then when you start spewing these ideas people are like you're so smart you're so genius and it's just like i'm surviving yeah i am trying to continue on to exist like it's not like i want to be the smartest person in the room it's i have to literally like my shirt says i have to get shit done i have to do this yeah and so you know it's definitely interesting to see at these times, like you said, you have to be strategic. You have to be creative. You have to recognize that taking a step back does not mean you're out of the game. It's just, you have to now play the game in a different way. You have to, or even sometimes play a whole different game. I know. And that doesn't mean any less than for a person. It just means you're being strategic. So I'm not even using the word smart, but really strategy. You could be really smart and have no strategy behind (laughs) your actions. So, you know, I really want to commend you for doing that. And um, 
I want to ask you one of the questions that, you know, are now my favorite to ask, you know, how did you handle your mental health throughout this journey? You mentioned you've, you've um, invested in years of therapy, but is there any other things or if, you know, if you want to dive a little further on what this, what does therapy mean and look like for you? Cause I feel like it looks like different things for everyone. It could be talk therapy. It yeah, could be talk therapy, therapy for yeah, me. I, love for you talk therapy, I feel that therapy, and I, I have felt this for a long time before even therapy was like allowed to be said out loud, right? <laughs> Is that it's a necessity and also a luxury. It's expensive, right? So those two things, um, and I don't like, currently I'm not in weekly therapy, but I will dive back in the moment I need to. I have no, you know, my, my, I mean, yeah, <laughs> hear that. It's so, it's so important. I think therapy is really, really important. And there are ways to get it for less money than, you know, the typical ridiculous amount. I say ridiculous, but really my therapist has helped me overcome so many things that I absolutely thought weren't possible. That is, you can't put a number on that. Right. Yeah. But I will say this, my book launched on March 22nd and I pushed like no one's business to launch this book. I overdid it and I worked myself to the bone and I was burned out and I wasn't paying attention to my mental health and I knew it and I was putting it off. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm just going to push, 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 push. I'm going to kill myself until this book launch, like initial book launch is over. And then I'll, I'll chill, chill out. <laughs> well, um, I did actually pay attention to that and I did honor myself by, okay, so these are the things I did. Um, I go kayaking on the estuary out here in between Oakland and Alameda on the weekends. Mm -hmm. I walk by the beach. I live by the water. I love it. But I did two things in one day that I was like, okay, this is me taking care of myself. I got a massage, which I would never take an hour out of my day to do during this book launch because I would be losing time. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was out of time and I got my hair cut for the first time in six months. Nice. Like those are, those are kind of small minor things, but for me, that was me showing myself that I had to take a break. And yesterday, um, my daughter called and said, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? She never does that by the way. So <laughs> I'm not sure why she did that, but anyway, I was like, yeah, but I was also thinking about going to the pool because it's 81 degrees and I would never go to the pool in the middle of the day on a weekday, <laughs> even though I work for myself and nobody's going to be judging me. I judge myself. So I took my computer, but I was in that pool, right? <laughs> in a bathing suit for at least 20 or 30 minutes. I think I got a sunburn and then I got <laughs> out and did some work, but I still a little bit did feel guilty. But along with that guilt, I was like, okay, this is you taking care of yourself. Yeah. And my daughter was like, mom, you can have lunch. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but not away from my work. Oh my God. Like I would, I would encourage that for all my employees, but I won't do it for myself. Yeah. So I got to constantly remind myself to, you know, try to be somewhat normal. <laughs> Yeah, just really take care of yourself, right? You know, and I think I think it's hard, right? I think it's hard to comprehend um, for folks that have had to 
take care of so many things and other people around them, right? It's, it's, it, it feels like a luxury almost, not even like a necessity. It's yeah, like, yeah. I'm fine, especially, or a person that has been used to depleting their cup to the point of like, I have one drop. And then like that one drop takes you so far. It's like, as if you, you have a car and it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, I could, I could drive another 20, 30, 40 miles on E and you do it so often that you're like, it's fine. People are just panicking. Like, is this car going to stop? You're like, no, 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 no. We've only did 10. We have another 40. We could go. And is it possible to make that work? But over time, right, your car will then start experiencing your body, right? We'll, we'll use the car analogy, but your car, your body will start experiencing, you know, it catches up to you is the best way to put it. It, it ran up with start me. breaking down. Yeah. Um, you'll have meltdowns. You'll be restless. You'll fatigue. All, all the yeah. things on the list will start hitting you at the same time. And you're just like, yeah. what's wrong? What's wrong? And then you realize, oh, it's because I've over exhausted myself. So, you know, definitely absolutely take those breaks. And I did something similar. I took a, I did a massage in the middle of the workday a couple of weeks ago. And I just kept on telling myself, I need this because that way I could work more. I need this. So I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't know if that was healthy or not, but I was like, this is an investment inside of like me being sane. Um, I had a cleaning lady um, that, that started coming. And what I realized is that she helps with, the smaller things, right? I think, I think when you are so used to doing like the big things, you're going to get those done. You're going to figure those out, but it's the, the dust bunnies. Yeah. The dust bunnies, right? I haven't organized like my packages. I haven't shredded my mail and it's, it starts little. So, oh, it's just two letters, three letters, a pile this big, two boxes of mail. And then it's just like, Oh, I, I'll just deliver it somewhere. I'll just donate it. Three years <laughs> later, now it's just this endless on. You, you don't want to touch it. It just looks like so this monster. Are you monster. saying that you're a hoarder? <laughs> I am not a hoarder. It did not take three <laughs> years. I promise you guys. But you know, I, I think I I think I hoard like if not physical things, but just um, if I was to com- confess to being a hoarder, just ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You're an idea hoarder. That's that's super healthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm, you know, I do have weekly therapy and I'm working on that, working on myself. Um, there's a better me at the other side of this, but I'm learning to let go and let go faster. Right. I think I'm quick to start things, but I'm, I, I'm very slow to let go. Um, but I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Um, so as we come to the close of this interview, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and some of the things that you want to share with other people out there. It could be from a side of being an entrepreneur and experiencing the world from your personal view or being an entrepreneur and experiencing the business world. Like how do you operate within that and stay sane and, you know, stay your true self while you have to do the most? So the one thing I would love to leave with everyone is for the first 12 or so years of my business, I ran it as a lifestyle business. So it really mm. paid for my life and supported my performing career. And that was great, but I did not have a mind to be educated on running a business or being an entrepreneur. I didn't know how to read my financial reports and I didn't care. And I was at 1.5 million in revenue at that point. Mm-hmm. At that point, you better start caring, but <laughs> this is what I'm going to leave everyone with is if I hadn't waited until 12 years later to take, 
like entrepreneurial master's courses and really learn to set the foundation of my business with systems and processes and really good hiring mechanisms and development and culture and core values, all these like buzzwords that actually are meaningful. If I had done that so much earlier, which I'm not sure I was ready for, but let's just say I was, I would have been so much further ahead than I am now. Mm. I don't really regret it, but because I've experienced it, when I started learning about the foundations and about how to scale and grow my business, it increased by 65% year over year. Wow. So just here's the shortcut. Are you ready for it? Do the work. It really is a shortcut because otherwise you're flailing around making decisions based on cut instinct and um, (laughs) like ingenuity, but you need to emulate what other people have done before you, before you start innovating. And I didn't do that. Yeah. So, you know, definitely a hundred percent agree systems, processes, and just having that foundation set up, right? Cause you can have a house with sticks and stones. And when it blows down, you build it back, it blows down, you build it back, it feels good, yeah. it's fun. But if you have that solid foundation, if it storm comes along and some of the fancy things that you have on the wall shake, you know your foundation is solid. And that rebuilding doesn't mean all the way to the core. It just, right. maybe it's fixing a window versus rebuilding the entire house. You know, I really enjoyed this conversation with you today, Natasha. Um, And folks, definitely check out Relentless by Natasha Miller, Homeless Teen to Achieving Entrepreneur Dream. You know, this is a great book. This is, Natasha has been recognized in multiple publications, has been awarded for all of her work and she continues to do that great work and thrive as an entrepreneur. You've heard her story here today. And you can see that is it is one of resilience and being relentless and to get there while she continues to do the most and have her misadventures and adventures of being an entrepreneur. Uh, you could contact her using the information in the show notes, or as, if you're watching this on YouTube, you could grab the um, information that's in the description box below. And thank you. Thank you so much again, Natasha, for being here with us today. Thank you. It was really fun. <laughs>